0: Uh, everyone, officially welcome to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy up here, Vlad. Uh, this is episode 81 with Pascal Ackerman, uh, and we are talking all about cybersecurity and cybersecurity awareness. So, Pascal, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. It's uh, It's been a while. This is my first podcast in probably two years, so oh, a little wow. nervous, but very excited to, to talk you up again. It's been, oh, always it's been awesome. too long.
2: We really appreciate you joining us today, Pascal. I think it's a critical episode to sort of set the stage for the month of, uh, as Dave mentioned, cybersecurity awareness. I wanted to start off, you know, before we dive into cybersecurity, could you tell us more about your background? How did you get into the cybersecurity space, into manufacturing, automation, and all of those things?
1: All right. So now I got to be careful not to make this too long of a of a discussion because i <laughs> I've been told before that once I start this route that it's, it's taking me a while to do it. But anyway, so I started my career as a, a controls engineer back in the late 90s for a company called Food and Beverage uh, Systems over back in, in, in the Netherlands. And uh, they were putting me on projects all over the world. So uh, mostly they were like uh, new, newly newly production lines, uh, new uh, products for the company as well. And I'd go in and I'd I'd help them uh, iron out the bugs, do the PLC programming, do uh, commissioning of of the equipment. But it was always cutting edge, always the newest stuff. And and I always liked that. And I I volunteered when those projects came up, which brought me to the US where a a company called uh, Dean Foods bought a a whole bunch of aseptic filling machines. If you've ever, ever had the Hershey's chocolate milk, there's a good chance that it came off of one of the machines that I installed, and with aseptic. the The process itself was completely sterile, and once the bottle came off, you could you could uh, basically keep it forever. So very sophisticated. It had a bunch of PLCs. It didn't have a, a network per se, other than maybe some control net or device net. So, but uh, this company had bought 13 of those machines, and and they were they didn't know how to. Maintain them, so they offered me a job to come to the U.S. I was dating a, a girl from uh, from Montana at the time, so it, it was a good idea to to make that that jump. I started with them, and I I I got to their first plan and instead of using control net, they were using Ethernet. So I, I got really interested in in what is that, what can we do with this, and I started deep diving in in the workings of networking and Ethernet, and and literally eventually security came to mind. And once we put the controls. Uh, network uh, together with the enterprise network and we started tying everything together i'm like huh this might not be a, a good idea so i, I started looking into uh, common attacks and proved out some of these attacks to some of my uh, upper management they were always completely happy with that because probably because of the timing that i showed them and they, they lost some production at some point <clears throat>
2: just but to get anyway, a timeline we- sorry to interrupt pascal what was the timeline yeah, no, of- by all means Well, I guess what was the year? So we get a perspective and I guess if it was different at the time than it is today, maybe a bit later from you also.
1: So, like I said, I started in late nineties. I moved to the U S in 2003. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really got involved in the architecture, the network design around 2005, 2006. Uh, like I said, we, we put the two networks together and I was very concerned about security and I started writing up, uh, some white papers for internal use about how we could securely do it. And I came up with a concept that was used on the enterprise side as well to connect the enterprise network to the internet, which was the DMZ. So I started writing up on the DMZ. And I actually shared that white paper with Rockwell Automation at the time just to, to see what they thought. And they must have liked it because a year or two later, they offered me a job on their uh, on their commercial engineering team. So I, I joined them in like 2008, 2009. Um, uh, Commercial engineering, I've been involved with some of the publications they're doing around the Converge Plant-wide Ethernet, uh, a series of of, uh, write-ups, if you're not familiar with them, uh, CPWE for short, they are write-ups on how to best implement industrial architectures. So uh, look at uh, topologies, looking at resiliency and all that stuff, and and they brought me on board to write about the uh, the IDMZ or the Industrial DMZ publication at the time. Uh, once I did that, I I didn't want to just write about it. I wanted to go do it. So I joined our uh, network and security services team, I uh, went around the world uh, doing all kinds of fun projects. So uh, that's that. I think around that time is when I really really got vested into ICS cybersecurity.
2: I want to uh. I want to <laughs> ask. I guess I want to expand a little bit about the moment where you know you said you found out about the Ethernet protocol, which was I guess just. Kind of getting started or picking up on traction versus control net at that time. What was the was there like a trigger point where you said, "Well, this needs some more thought" or some cybersecurity like at the time, or was it just a pure like interest that brought you to or down the rabbit hole, so to speak?
1: So the the, the networking interest got got peaked when we were start when we were building a. Uh, a... A plant where everything was was connected to Ethernet. All of the PLCs, all of the of the pelleting systems, all of the databases, all of the HMIs. Everything was on Ethernet, and and that's got me that got me really into the networking uh, side of, of the things. And uh, two years after that, plant was running, and they decided that the uh, the accounting team and and the, the plan manager wanted to see more data, and we connected it to networks together so they the their enterprise network and the controls network and it became one giant VLAN. That's when I started to get interested in into the cybersecurity side of things.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. And so those this brings us to today. I guess what uh what can you tell us about the current role that you're in? What are you working on? What's uh what's going on there?
1: Yeah just to streamline the conversation a little bit so after Rockwell had joined TreadGen i helped them build their services uh department um, did that for two years, and then I, I thought I'd, I'd be happier working for a company like, uh, called Ernst and Young. Uh, that didn't completely pan out uh, because I was I was more I was more interested in the offensive side of things uh, at that time. So I, I started looking around and, and found a, a really good company that had a, a an ICS pen testing role available. These guys, Guidepoint, I joined them. six or seven months ago now, and uh, I'm I'm doing the stuff that I really like now, and and it's pen testing and research of uh, exploitability of ICS systems.
2: That's awesome. I'd really like to get into the, I guess, the differences between, like, offensive and defensive cybersecurity, and I know we still have a few, I want to say, like, more fundamentals points to cover. So, you know, when it comes to cybersecurity, right, to maybe put you in my shoes, which you've been in for a long time anyways, but from a control systems engineering side, you hear a lot of, I want to say, like not necessarily buzzwords, but there's threat modeling going on. The IT guys are doing pen tests. They're doing, again, they're trying to secure the networks. They're installing firewalls. And I want to say that it's not always completely transparent transparent to someone who's doing PLC, HMI, and even like SCADA work. So where, I, I mean, I want to say like, where do you start kind of biting into the cybersecurity aspect? And I want to say maybe more like lower level than networking uh, fundamentals from a controls engineering side.
1: Uh, and I'm going to apologize because I've been I've been part of this as well. But but you're right on. We we've, we've been bombarded with uh, acronyms, with with buzzwords, with terms, with with the latest and greatest tools and techniques. And you should care about this. You should look out for that. When a security vendor comes into an ICS uh, environment, the first thing they say, well, you should be scared of people like uh, like who can develop Stuxnet and, and come to you and state sponsored for most people i'm going to say ninety nine percent ninety nine point nine percent of the ICS owners out there forget these these uh, these buzzwords and and concentrate on the bottom line make a fundamentally good architecture if, if and I've been in a unique situation because I, I went from device net control net uh, remote i o networking all the way through uh, uh, over to ethernet so i I've, I've seen that development come in and uh, uh, because when when they first built ICS equipment, when they first started uh, coming up with PLCs and HMIs and devices and protocols and, and medium and and all this, it wasn't it wasn't leaning towards security, right? Security wasn't ever in mind when we first had PLCs. It, the way you programmed those things was uh, you hooked up a, 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 a serial cable, and it, that's after we we bur- we were done burning EPROMs. I've done that too. That was even more secure than anything else, but. At the time, you would hook up a serial device to your PLC. And those were the only two things that would communicate. So there was nothing to be sniffed. There was nothing to be intercepted. And, and that, so that was, that was a, a secure way. So the vendors didn't think about doing authentication or encryption or all. And it wasn't necessary. But when we saw the move to ethernet, when everything became an IP and, a, and it was part of the TCP IP stack, all of those protocols were just fixed up to work on, on those, uh, on those uh, protocols as well. So uh, the, the wide open, the clear text protocols that used to be on a serial port are now flowing over network packets and can be intercepted and, and can be seen by anybody on the same network segment. So with, with that in mind, uh, and that's not going to change very much. With, with that in mind, uh, we cannot rely on these devices to secure themselves. So anything around it, the environment, the architecture, the building—that's how we secure an, an ICS environment. You, you you do fundamentally you have to segment off your ICS environment so that so that people can't easily stumble upon uh, these devices.
2: I guess when you I'll, say I'll segment- pause there for a second. Yeah, I want I want to you know like dig into that a little bit deeper again because I think like segmenting is like an abstract term maybe for for someone coming from the OT side. Does that necessarily mean that you can kind of do whatever in OT and hope that there is like a firewall or I guess a defense that is perhaps maintained by IT that will sec- hopefully again I, I you know I use that loosely but hopefully secures the infrastructure underneath like how does i guess like how does that layer really come into play because again in my experience right when you're on the manufacturing floor and when you're just throwing a bunch of these ethernet devices into the control system there's not necessarily a good process to secure those devices it might be like a password like as you said like it might be a password uh, and and username but even those are you know handwritten sometimes on the panel and, and but that, that's a whole other topic. But where does the security like level come into play? In a, from what you've seen,
0: and,
1: yeah, and, and, and bolted on the side. Right, you get a little sticky note on the side. Or they're easily guessable. Or they're blank. Right. Or if they are very sophisticated passwords, the clear text protocols that are used to transport them there, because Telnet is, is, for example, is still very common on ICS environments. Uh, so you, you can just sniff these passwords off of the network. Um, but fundamentally, segmentation, so if we, if we go back to, and we look at the development, we had completely segment, or we had completely separated standalone ICS environments before, right? You had a couple of PLCs, they might communicate to each other over a, a remote I.O. or over device net. We went from there to fully Ethernet aware environment. Everything was connected, everything had an IP address, then we tied that to the enterprise. So we had now had one big giant network of devices your your office pc that could get email that could get viruses from the internet could talk to any plc even if they had no business doing that so fundamentally if you want to separate that you're going to look at your network you're going to segment it out into a an, an enterprise or a business part of the network and an industrial part of the network that's your fundamental separation you need to take between the two and if you can get away with running like that and having no connection between the two that would be great but I haven't been to a single customer lately in the last 10 years that that can do that. So we need to have some way of those two segments talking to each other. And that's the DMZ sitting in the middle of it. So a DMZ very fundamentally is, is a safe middle ground for communications. So, uh, and, and the idea is that if any traffic needs to go from enterprise to industrial, you broker that in the DMZ, you use some sort of a service that can either Relay or translate those communications. So you go into the DMZ with, for example, let's let's take a remote uh, remote desktop access. You go into the DMZ with a uh, with with one with one protocol. The way RDP works, you can you can set up a a, a broker service in the DMZ that 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 takes uh, traffic over port four four three, which is uh, SSL and then translates that to RDP protocol on the other side. So we now have a middleware sitting there that translates that connection for us. So if an, if an attacker has a vulnerability for the HTTP, for the, for the SSL side of the business, right? he, he, could, he could attack uh, that server sitting in a DMZ over port 443 you might be able to compromise that server, but that same compromise or the same exploit will not work on the way out because we ha- we're we going out on a different protocol and a different uh, way of communication. You with me so far?
2: Yeah, I, I guess, the, is that device uh, like a router or a switch or is that a, a server? Like what actually like brokers the it,
1: communication? It, it could be. Yeah, depending on what it does, it could be anything. So for the RDP uh, example, so this would be a Windows Server 2016, 2019, or, or the latest one, 2022, I think, server edition. And then you would install the, what they call the RDP gateway role. And all the all all that server is going to do is it's going to wait for somebody to make a connection on, from the enterprise side, verify and authenticate and author, uh, authorize that user, and then translate it down into... Uh, one of your production systems, so you could use that to remotely access a workstation or an end device or or whatever you have on the other side to do that. The nice thing about this setup is that not only are we protected against the same exploit being used on both sides, but if if that if that device in the DMZ, if that server in DMZ is compromised, it's isolated in there. You can now you could in worst case scenario you could shut off the the south end of your DMZ and still run your production.
2: And so I guess just to like be clear, like on the OT side of things, right? Because again, I think that network also has its own challenges, but in a yep. nutshell, from what I understand, you have a little bit more leeway since you only have like a single pipeline that you're securing, right? So it's not, yep. I guess like it would be less risky to have, I want to say questionable switch configurations or what have <laughs> obviously not from like a networking standpoint, but maybe from a cybersecurity standpoint, it would be less critical to, to have that in place. Is that a correct statement to make?
1: Yes. Yeah, and, and and let me let me zoom out a little bit. So so ideal ideally, the your your production environment should be a completely isolated entity, right? And any interactions with with the, uh, with the ICS environment should go through a secure channel, the, the DMZ. So, and, and if we could, I, I, where I can, I would like to take that to the maximum where even your operators are sitting on the enterprise network and the way they would communicate with your HMI is through that remote desktop gateway. So if their if systems on the enterprise were to be compromised, that compromise is isolated on the enterprise side, and your industrial environment stays un- unharmed and you can still run your production. Furthermore, because on the enterprise side, it's probably some dumb client because RDP clients are built into every single version of Windows since I think Windows 95 or 98. So you could just grab another laptop, you could grab another one's computer, you you, you, you go back to the RDP gateway and you're up and running in like uh, a couple of minutes.
2: Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, I I wanted to maybe expand just uh, on the last question. So if your current uh, architecture requires you to pass data to the enterprise side, does that become a fundamentally more complex system to set up? Because ultimately you're going to have traffic, right? You're capturing, again, like in my world, the data goes into the PLC, then it's probably sent to some kind of an enterprise server that's managed by IT, then it's distributed to some you know mobile applications perhaps has email notifications and then ultimately some of that data makes its way back through like either the scada system or like some hmi displays like does that mm-hmm. become like a lot more complex or can it still be secured through like that single channel
1: yeah so so the dmz is not just for remote desktop uh right. gateway solutions so the dmz the the idea is that any data in or out of your industrial environment, goes through the DMZ, where the where the discussion comes a little tricky is what do you use to broker that that service? So for for remote desktop access, a remote desktop gateway is a, is a good solution. But for anything else, you would have to come up with a custom uh, a solution. Like file sharing, I, we we typically use a secure file sharing uh, 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 solution from uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, secure FTP or something, and there's there's solutions from uh, what are those guys? Uh, Solar Winds, for example, that that can provide again a middleware sitting in the DMZ that allows you to to pretty much push your data through the DMZ. At which point, it also gets inspected in the DMZ for like uh, antivirus and stuff.
2: No, I think uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. Again, I'm I'm still there's a lot more complexity in how that is set up in the field but uh it, it's interesting i, I guess to... go ahead go ahead
1: so yeah i'll i'll share i'll share an article that i that i uh, wrote with threadgen several years ago that explains a little bit more and then i wrote i wrote a, a book and and like 50 pages of that book were dedicated to the dmz alone so the the fundamental idea is to separate the two the interactions between enterprise and industrial should all be brokered to the dmz and 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 the more to the extreme you can take that, the more secure your environment will be. Because again, remember those devices on on the industrial zone—they weren't built. They weren't built with security in mind. If if an attacker makes it onto your industrial environment, it can send Modbus uh, packets to a uh, to a PLC and and change registers. It, it can it can use Python modules to communicate with your uh, Rockwell PLC and make program changes uh, on the fly. So. You gotta prevent people from making it onto or attackers making it onto that industrial environment. Uh, that is fundamentally separating your network, but also keeping the most vulnerable part of your of your environment as far away as, as possible, right? And that's your that's your people, because people oftentimes inadvertently they make a mistake or they bring along something infected, they bring, they bring a, a threat onto your industrial environment. And and, then uh, then the trouble is going to start.
2: Absolutely. Dave, I wanted to give you maybe an opportunity to jump in the conversation as well. Yeah, thank you, Clive.
0: Uh, well so, so as i may or may not have warned Pascal vlad is the most excited person for the first 20 minutes of uh, of our show it's, as soon as I introduce you our our guest uh, vlad vlad was in fact so excited Pascal he didn't let you get all the way through uh, kind of your background and how how you've now made it to guide point before we started peppering you with questions today
1: i'm I'm glad he did because because like i said I, I could I could have talked half an hour about it. so and'm and i'm I'm super excited as well but you might you might notice that so I, <laughs> I really have to sit there and make sure that I don't forget to say anything. and I don't, it's, it's really hard. There's there so much around it. There's so much to say yep. about it. But as long as I can bring across the point that fundamentally we need to prevent direct interaction with your industrial environment, because what, what else I was going to say is that you do, you do the fundamental se- separation between enterprise and industrial, but then you can do micro-segmentation in the mm-hmm. industrial environment well, And if if you want to bring it back to ICS terms, micro segmentation often comes down to segmenting of a certain production line. Or mm-hmm. a certain part of your process, or maybe a certain plant. Let's say, let's say you have mm-hmm. a process that spans multiple locations, right? You make a part here, it has to communicate over to a different location in a different city. Those all mm-hmm. become micro segments, and then between those micro segmentation uh, areas, the, or the enclaves as we call them, mm-hmm. you want to do some inspection as well, so that if something does make it out uh, into one of your segments, it doesn't propagate over to another segment
0: or another en- enclave. Interesting. And then, are, are we are we segmenting those enclaves with firewalls? Are we segmenting those enclaves with more uh, Windows servers? How would we how would we do those micro segmentations?
1: So those micro segmentation typically take uh, dedicated uh, uh, automation aware uh, firewalls. Okay. okay. Uh, Interesting. There, there's yeah. There's a cheaper version if you want. If you don't want to spend that extra <laughs> money, you, you could also do ACLs in switches, right? That's yeah. But for inspection, there are uh, there are really good uh, industrial firewalls that can do all the protocols. They can sit there and say, okay, we got a Modbus connection between segment one and segment two. I wanna allow. I wanna allow a read. Uh, instruction, but I want to prevent a a, a, block, a, a write instruction or a reset or firmware update. So that that's a that's a really good use of
0: of industrial firewalls to do micro segmentation. Interesting, interesting. And, and I want to make sure we we, talk, we we touch on your books, right? So so I, as I alluded to in the beginning, you, you've written two books, uh, two of how I don't know. You probably got like 25 more left, uh, but before you're done with your career, Vlad <laughs> Vlad is holding this. So the first time I saw the second book, this industrial cybersecurity, um, I honestly wasn't sure if it was like a, a really good textbook or if it was just like a weapon that you felt like you needed to <laughs> carry around because there's just so much to it. But you you, you mentioned um, that the books kind of build on each other. So can, can you give anyone who may not have read your books, kind of just a brief overview uh, of maybe volume one and volume two and how, how they build on each other and maybe the, the target market that you were looking to talk to? Yep.
1: First of all, thank you for calling in volume one and volume two. So I argued with Peck Publishing for months because they wanted me to write a second edition and, yeah. and I wanted to do, make it a second volume and they, they don't yeah. do volume. So it became a second edition, but they are two separate books. I think 5%, 40 pages out of the thousand in there are, are, are uh, revamped material mm-hmm. from the first edition. With the first edition being the fundamental building blocks of your security program. So if, mm-hmm. if you have nothing in place, you wanna start a security program, you wanna look at uh, mm-hmm. policies, procedures, uh, some architecture, program development, asset management, the first mm-hmm. book will cover you there. Once you got that built and 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 it's up and running, you want to be able to make sure that your program stays up and running and and is as as efficient as possible. That's where the second book comes into play. It shows the various ways of monitoring, verifying, pen testing, uh, exploring, looking at the the, the program and the, uh, the security overall to make sure you, you didn't miss anything and if it's still uh, as as up to date and as effective as possible. But that's that's the two. That's what the two volumes come into place.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I, I I I love that. I have heard, I think most people have heard uh, talk to them about uh, as volume one and volume two. And then are, are you writing them mostly for the people who are interested in doing the work, perhaps a controls engineer or someone looking to get into ICS cybersecurity? Or are you writing them uh, slightly higher level than that?
1: No, it, it's more—it's more an entry level, and especially the okay. first book, it's more an entry level. The second book, there's there's a couple of sections that are really deep dive, but still the 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 underlying pro, uh, the underlying uh, ideas that there are for people who, who just want to get started with this, and and uh, maybe, maybe you've you maybe you've been a controls engineer, and and mm-hmm. like me, all of a sudden you're interested in hey, what could go wrong, or or. Or how do we implement security? Or how do we test security? Or, and and stuff like that. So that's that's the kind of people I I wrote them for.
0: No, that is fantastic, and I would like everyone to know that I did ask that for Pascal because I know at some point in the next half an hour, Vlad is going to ask Pascal how we can learn more about ICS cybersecurity uh, if he or perhaps someone else out listening wants to get in. So that I, I headed you off at the pass, Vlad. I I, uh, I apologize. Uh, I apologize uh, for that in advance. Uh, so I guess I, I'm interested uh, t- to know a little bit more about what you're doing now. So, so you talked about being interested on the offensive side, right? So in, in the past, we've talked about ICS cybersecurity. Uh, we're gonna have an entire uh, conversation specifically with a panel next week about penetration testing but I know that you are working on pen testing. Can you give us maybe a little bit of an overview of what pen testing is? And then maybe some of the interesting things you're doing with it in your current position? Yeah, Uh,
1: just a quick quick, uh, background. My career is basically following the books I'm writing. Right, I started off doing <laughs> rudimentary or fundamental uh, security program and and uh, architects development, and then I got more interested into the monitoring and the pen testing side. So that the second book, but uh, yeah, pen pen testing uh, it's been it's been around on the IT side for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's based pen testing is basically the pre. Practice of going out, finding vulnerabilities in your on your uh, Ethernet network, right? I mean, anything with an IP address, or even maybe maybe even some physical equipment. But well, let's stick let's stick to something with an IP address. You find a device that that has a known vulnerability, and then and then you find or build an exploit for that vulnerability. Where pen testing comes into play a little bit more is that not only do you find these vulnerabilities and and you prove out that it's exploitable. You mm-hmm. also want to do it in the context of the environment. Let's okay. say you have a Windows XP machine sitting uh, in one of your facilities.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: At, let's say it's Windows XP service Pack one. We all know there's 100,000 vulnerabilities on there. But now you, you notice that it's not connected to the, to the network in, in any way or form. That's significantly reduces the attack vector. so significantly reduces the risk of that one device. and maybe that fully fully uh, uh, patched Windows 10 machine sitting next to that that is uh, on the network might even be more vulnerable or more risky than, than the XP machine. So it's, it's putting things into context. it's showing the risk as it portrays to the entire environment.
2: Pascal I have a more fundamental I have many questions I guess on penetration testing Good. but I, I wanted to I know that uh, maybe Dave jumped a little bit in front of the the question that I wanted to ask but you mentioned two ways I guess of monitoring the current system and sort of like figuring out the the limits in between systems which are ACLs and a firewall and so again mm-hmm. it's something that is often like I've heard from the IT Uh, departments and many of my conversations could you explain to me and i guess like our audience a bit more about what a firewall is right like fundamentally what does it help you do and how does it i I almost want to say it in a way that what can i do as a controls engineer to set up proper like firewall so that i get more control let's say over like my own systems versus just saying well like you guys handle the security and i have zero idea what's going on with the traffic
1: yep yeah, that's, that's a good question. So let's, let's, look at, let's look at two systems on a network that need to communicate to each other, right? They, they both have an IP address, and then, and then you have, you have a, a sender and a receiver. And the receiver is oftentimes a server or a service that, that you want to communicate with, like, like a web server. So with that, you have an, a port number as well. So we have an IP address, and we have mm-hmm. a port number. Those are two fundamental uh, principles of, of IP networks. Because you need to have an IP address to send your packet to, and you need to have a port number to target a certain service or, or yeah, a certain service on on the on the target. So a firewall or an ACL. Let's let's start with an ACL. So an ACL is an access control list. So you could basically say, okay, if, if IP address uh, one two three four wants to communicate with with a system uh, four three two one over port eighty, I will allow that. Does that make sense? So, so it's very, very basic filtering of packets. So the ACL or the switch that, that runs the ACL looks at the packet, it looks at the, uh, the source and the destination IPs and the port number for the, for the destination, and it decides whether it's going to allow that or drop that packet and block, and block that connection. That's very rudimental. As a matter of fact, those are your generation 1 firewalls. You always hear people say next generation firewall. I think I think we're up to generation 5 now. Interesting. But okay. but first generation firewalls were nothing more than ACLs. So they they could look they could look at IP addresses, they could look at port numbers and they made their decisions based upon those two factors. And then, but then attackers found ways to circumvent that, right? They, they could manipulate the packets in such a way to make the ACL or the firewall, generation one firewall think that the packet came from somewhere else or uh, somehow allow that traffic to come through. So that, that's when firewalls started the, to evolve. They, were, they became uh, state aware. So state aware means that if there is communication before between the two and it was allowed, it's gonna re- remember that and then, and then okay. it, it bases it bases future decisions on on that. So, all, if an attacker would say it would send a packet saying, "Hey, I already had an, an established connection with him, so just let me through," then this fire, the generation fire, one firewall wasn't able to look at that packet and say, "No, no, no, I have, I don't have any records of you ever uh, made that communication before, so I'm going to block it." No, it couldn't do that. But generation two and three and and beyond, they can look at the state of it and they say, "No." Uh uh-uh, not allowed because you're trying to trick me. So they they remember for every connection, they remember uh, the establishment, and and there's a a register within the firewall that keeps track of that. And then to get things more secure, people or vendors started building more features into, into firewalls. So current firewalls, you can you can look at the connection. You can look at the state. You can you can allow or deny by port number and IP address. But now, once you allow that, you can also look at the the protocol going over. So let's say you are allowing uh, uh, web traffic, HTTP traffic, to go through. You could you can look inside of those packets and see if if it truly is web traffic. Let's say they are trying to communicate over port 80, but you look inside the packets and it sees all kinds of data or 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 uh commands coming through then the firewall with that the 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 new generation firewalls can say no no that doesn't look like a real http packet or a real dns packet or a real modbus packet so i'm going to block that that's called deep packet inspection so that's that's uh, i think it was introduced with generation 4 uh, uh firewalls but that that's a really really sophisticated way and a really strong sense of or really stru- uh, really tough uh inspection to, to beat.
2: Gotcha. Well, let me ask you, I guess, like on the practical level, right? And what the maybe baseline expectations would be because, you know, as as you've explained, ACLs and firewalls sort of like gears started turning and I'm looking back at all the networks that have, you know, maybe even VLAN segmentations, which usually I, I find that's that's already a good network topology, but you have hundreds of devices that are, kind of like just thrown on there with obviously static IP addresses, but there is absolutely nothing that prevents any that any of those devices to talk to any other device. So would the expectation be, or I guess the base practice, would it be to set up ACL so that you limit that traffic and make it a lot more difficult for a, I want to say like a rogue device to be introduced into that network, or would that be kind of, you know, like Vlad going completely crazy on the side. And then I become the guy who needs to manage every single list and then every single IP address. And every time anything is, you know, added or changed, then I become this network engineer that sits and just manages those lists uh, for the rest of my career, so to speak.
1: Uh, uh, To a degree. So I remember the discussion about micro segmentation Mm -hmm. that is, that is done for a reason within each micro segment. Uh, we allow traffic between the devices unlimited because ultimately a lot of a lot of control systems. Once once you start putting inspection in there, once you start putting uh, bumps in the wires, firewalls, ACLs, they the latency might cause problems. So so typically when when I design when I go out and help uh, people design their their architecture, I say. Take, take the bare minimum amount of equipment that you absolutely must have communicating to each other all the time, right? Put those in a micro segment. But then another production line, or maybe uh, your, uh, your boiler system or your steam supply, uh, or your, your, your uh, compressors sites, they're in a different enclave. Or they're on, in a different micro segment. And then the communication between those that's where you start filtering. That's where you put ACLs or firewall rules in, in place because it's, that's going to be probably way less communication than internally. Plus, a lot of times, if that, if that communication drops, you can still run your production within those micro enclaves right? Okay. or within those okay. micro segments. So that, that's always, if, if you look at IT security where CIA, the CIA triad, are you familiar with that? Confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Those are the three main uh, objectives for IT security, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. If you take that same principle to the OT side, to the industrial side, they're actually flipped around. Availability, integrity, and confidentiality. Because availability is the most important thing we want to have on, on the OT side, on the industrial network. Because if we're not making product, then security uh, is not going to do us any good anyway, because all our supervisors will be yelling at everybody.
2: I've certainly (laughs) been in that position. I can can relate to that last one. Dave? I
0: I would, I was going to say, I would imagine most people, uh, and my my favorite kind of conversation that you have with groups that haven't talked about ICS cybersecurity is when you talk about the CIA and then you Flip it upside down, and you've got all the IT people like going crazy. They're like, "What do you mean confidentiality is the least important and availability is the most important?" You've got all the OT people being like, "Yeah, if we're yeah. down, only bad things happen, right? Like <laughs> we 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 could in theory have confidentiality issues, but it doesn't matter if we have confidentiality issues. It, it matters less if we are up and we have confidentiality issues." then we're down because if we're down nothing else matters other other than when we're down so so I, I love that and this i think gives us a good opportunity to uh to segue uh to thank our sponsor uh phoenix contact uh for this so as we, as we were talking about this month and we, we've talked with phoenix contact a bunch um over the last year a year and a half um Vlad, I realize we haven't necessarily talked about Phoenix as a company, basically, other than that, like one time that I was there on site in Harrisburg with them, and uh, and so we want to talk about how Phoenix just a bit is a global leader uh, in the market, based in Germany, right? So they're, they're this large company. So they produce future-oriented components, systems, and solutions for electrical controls, networking, and automation. They've got a worldwide networking reaching more than reaching more than a hundred countries with over 17,100 employees, which is almost unfathomable. They have beautiful facilities. They've got beautiful pictures of all their worldwide facilities, but that's a lot of employees. And they maintain close relationships with our customers, something we believe is essential for shared success. So their wide variety of innovative products make it easier for their customers to implement the latest technology in various applications and industries. And they focus on energy infrastructure, process, and factory automation. And we want to dig a little bit more into the FLM Guard product family, which I actually uh, was telling Pascal about earlier uh, when we were getting ready uh, for this call on Monday, right? So, the product family is proven security technology that enables you to control and safeguard communication within your production network. It's it, it's the cornerstone of a holistic approach to properly securing your OT network. The central management system. Uh, software, which is M-Guard Device Manager, enables easy and efficient system configuration, maintenance, and operation, especially when a large number of m security routers are installed. Thanks to a wide variety of product versions, they offer the right product for every application. A couple of the advantages are gigabit data rate. Uh, security is baked into the entire product family uh, from the certified development process in accordance with IEC 62243-4-1, uh, which I hope that means something to, to someone here. Uh, I am I am Kurt. Okay, pas- hey, Pascal says hey, pa- pa- <laughs> yes, which uh, w- which is a positive thing to the integration of important security functions, uh, low vu- vulnerability of Mgar devices due to the hardening and application of secure by design principles. PSIRT uh, monitors vulnerabilities on a daily basis, and these are evalu- evaluated and rectified based upon the severity of the problem plus the robust and secure global connectivity to your machine via the most complete line of VPN-enabled devices, coupled with new version of MGuard Secure Cloud uh, 2.14, conforming with the M-I-I-T category I-B14." No, so we talked to to Miriam, and we'll post Miriam's conversation that we had earlier in the year. She was talking about the MGuard. I think that they're very interesting. Uh, they, They seem... Like very good products, and we, we've got to get Vlad to to go put one of them up on his wall and give it some tests. <laughs> or if we're being realistic, we've got to get one to Pascal so he can actually tell us how uh, how good they are. And and he's he's gen. I, yeah I could drop I one in, that, and Pascal
2: yeah. could remote in and teach us maybe that process. But oh yeah, well, yeah you way. could
0: you could drop one in. Pascal could <laughs> offensively penetrate it, and then he could take control of your entire home automation system. I I know, just- think.
1: Just open up your firewall for me. Just open this port. Let me in. <laughs> what could go wrong?
0: See, see, th- th- that's either the start of like some sort of horror movie, or <laughs> the best live demo we've ever done here on Manufacturing hub no, But no. Uh, but before we get too off-topic, we, we want to thank uh, Phoenix Contact for helping us uh, help sponsoring this and also putting together uh, a bunch of, of of great conversations around cybersecurity awareness. Again, Vlad and I are. are probably as far away from experts as, as we will ever be when we talk about topics with this but we're super happy to have great uh, great partners and amazing guests uh, like Pascal to, uh, to come on and talk so so thank you all for that. Thank you. Um, but talking, I, I want to talk a little bit more about penetration testing, a little bit more about uh, what what you guys are doing Pascal uh, because you, you said that you were you were doing penetration on like a full stack and, and you were doing some testing or planning to do some testing. Uh, on some interesting, perhaps non-typical solutions. Um, Do you wanna talk a little bit more about what you're doing or what you are planning to do uh, with with GuidePoint?
1: Yeah, so uh, for people who have followed the developments around GuidePoint, we just announced the, uh, uh, the new services offering for the, for the ICS or the OT side of, of the business. And uh, seeing as guide point security has always been laser focused on helping IT customers address complex cybersecurity challenges. Adding, adding this capability and, and this expertise, this level of expertise on the OT side as well, truly opened us up to be a one stop shop for all of, of the cybersecurity needs for our customers, right? We can, we can now go from across the entire organization. We can do pen tests and we can help uh, our customers develop a secure architecture and program. So to give an example having the expertise on both IT and OT allows us to see very nuanced or very uh, integrated, complicated, attack. Uh, tech- uh, parts and vectors for example if you if you think of a scenario where an attacker compromises a cloud service let's say somebody has their azure uh, a d set up an attacker mm-hmm. compromises the cloud service, gets themselves a uh, an account uh, in a d then mm-hmm through that manages to compromise one of the production facilities enterprise network from where they pivot onto a workstation that has an exploitable vulnerability mm-hmm. and and therefore make their way onto the production uh, network which we we talked about in in extent once they're on that network that is end of game the the protocols the devices are not built to to withstand attacks because they don't differentiate between attacks and a PLC, like a Rockwell uh, control logics, it doesn't differentiate between a Python generated packet that tells it to wipe its firmware and the and the operating uh, or the the official RS logics uh, programming suite to do that. So being able to find those kind of complicated chained exploit paths mm-hmm. is is very, very uh, valuable in in my opinion. so. Uh, yeah like i said one stop shop we can we can uh, assess uh, the entire organizational risk uh, including just regular it risk mm-hmm. furthermore because we we have the expertise on the ot pen testing side we can also look at uh, rf uh, iiot iot uh, hardware, uh, 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 radio frequency—I think I mentioned that already—and mm-hmm. and do and do fuzzing and and zero-day uh, discovery on all other equipment. So, as-, as you you might notice, I'm very excited about it because I, it's a very good place to be in, and I'm very excited with with the work we've we've come to and and the the services offering that we've established
2: so far. Pascal, as- if I can Absolutely. ask a follow-up. Dave, okay, I'll well, let you. One more One yeah. more oh, second oh, no, One at a time, time. time. No, no, right, Dave, I, go, go,
0: I, go. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've, I've got to ask Pascal this question because mm. we, were, we were talking about it. But did, did you say that you guys were, were looking at doing pen testing of, of robotics? Yeah. And
1: so basically, so what I just explained is mm-hmm. pretty much that's that what I, I would call the comprehensive ICS uh, yep. assessment. So we go all out. We do we do cloud assessments. We do OSINT, mm-hmm. right? Because we'll go out and and look at the various uh, shodan and sensors, making mm-hmm. sure nothing is exposed. We do external pen testing to see the public IP address range for an organization if nothing is exposed. Then we go internal. Then we hop on over to the industrial environment and scan and and uh, pen test that network. Mm-hmm. But we can also do smaller. Uh, portions mm-hmm. of of the ICS environment, and sometimes customers come to us. They have robotics, so they they have an, a, a robotics uh, uh, ecosystem. I think they call that where they have where where they have the device that runs around and gets parts and brings it over. Mm-hmm. It communicates with the cloud or maybe a local presence. So mm-hmm. we're in the middle of, of getting some of those projects as well, where we go out and, and we take that robot and we look at the, the physical. Can we get into it? Can, what happens if we plug in a USB? What happens if, if we connect to this uh, JTAG or the UART or the, the serial mm-hmm. port? Can we bring out the firmware? Or can we maybe download the firmware from, uh, from the vendor's site? And, and then we reverse the firmware and, and see if we can get a backdoor into that. And then we take that a level higher. And OK, so now we found a vulnerability in there can we attack it from the environment? If we're on the network already, or if we're on the enterprise network, can we still get to that vulnerability and get to it? So exciting stuff. And and I'm hoping to be able to to show risk where where other people haven't uh, found that stuff yet. No,
0: amazing. I was going to say. I was going to th- say thank you. Thank you for that, Pascal. Um, when when you said you were looking to do that on robots, I, I knew that we had to ask that question uh, for Vlad. Vlad. Vlad loves to to work robots into uh, to every single conversation we have.
2: Absolutely, but no, Pascal. I, I think you've answered a lot of my uh, my question that I was going to ask. But ultimately, understanding that process a little bit better, and I want to say maybe to arm some controls engineers with like the base knowledge of what that audit would look like. So the question is, you know, do you have or do you use automated tools that can scan the network or is a lot of the effort in figuring out exactly what's on the production floor so that you could do, I want to say like more manual research. Again, let's say you have like a control logics of this specific uh, firmware or, or level, and then you can go on the Rockwell website, figure out what kind of vulnerabilities it has. So I want to say, like, is that maybe something that the plant should already start? taking note of uh, on their own versus that's the type of work that you would be engaged in versus some like more advanced automated tools for penetration testing.
1: That's a really complicated and long question. So there's a really
2: long and complicated answer. So Uh yes, at
1: most, we, we, we use automated tools to do I mean, let me back up. What's the best explanation? If you if you look at a typical ICS environment these days, it is a combination of automation only devices, right? PLCs, HMIs, sensors. Yep. They communicate to network devices, switches, routers, which could also have vulnerabilities. And then mm-hmm. and then there's there's databases, HMIs, Windows servers, Linux, embedded Linux, embedded Windows. And then that crosses across, uh, that spreads itself across the OT and the IT side. So that's that's a, in my opinion a modern ICS. We oftentimes use automated automated tools to do the discovery part, find out which assets are live, which devices are, are out there, which ports are open on them, and and for a lot of the IT oriented devices on the OT side, if it makes sense, like your Windows servers, your Linux, mm-hmm. we'll use automated tools. To, to find vulnerabilities as well, then the exploitation is always going to be a, a manual process because you wanna have that controlled. You wanna make sure that you do just the right uh, command and uh, that you don't mess things up. So the, the exploitation of the vulnerabilities that that you might find automatically is a, is a manual process because it's just it's better to have your hands on and to make sure that it, it's in the controlled, it's it's exploited in a controlled way. The automation devices is oftentimes well, it's most of the almost almost always a manual process once you've discovered it it's a manual process to find out what the device is uh, you go out to your uh, to the website and you find the vulnerabilities and, and you and you you try out those vulnerabilities and, and you find those there are more and more automated systems coming out nowadays uh, tenable uh, rapid seven they're all concentrating on the OT side but in the end, there's, there's no, there is no uh, substitute to, to having hands-on knowledge of these devices and, and manually looking at at uh, the return packet and, and looking at those devices. Does that make sense? Interesting.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Like like I said, I think it's, a, it's an interesting perspective, again, from someone who's probably at the plant level and is trying to at the very least prepare or, you know, get more knowledge into what's on their plant floor. And to be quite open with you, I've not read a whole lot on the cybersecurity side of the, you know, devices that we've been deploying as a, like a complete, I want to say like day to day basis on the uh, control system side. So
1: sure. you, there was another part to your question. Should, should people be scanning uh, their networks themselves with vulnerability? Ab- absolutely. But, and now are you familiar with the Purdue model? The, yep. the, 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 the yep. so if you look at the Purdue model, you got layer zero through five, hmm? uh, Companies should absolutely invest in scanning layers five, four, and three, because because you can you can very easily get away with doing automated scans, get your vulnerabilities uh, discovered, maybe some asset uh, inventory scanning, but on but the, the lower lay- levels two and zero and one and zero, uh, they don't lend themselves very well for automated scan, because it always it's always going to be in the middle of production. It's always going to be in the middle of production when, when one of those scans kick, kicks off and it it, uh, it breaks one of your control systems.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And if we talk a little bit on the defensive side, right? So we talked a bit about uh, firewalls and ACLs. Are there any other like major components to this, I guess, like red versus blue puzzle that we've uh, <laughs> talked about?
1: So we've talked uh, firewalls. We've talked ACLs. Uh, a lot of companies are coming out with IDS, Intrusion Detection Systems. So they, they, uh, they're basically uh, passive uh, monitoring servers that sit on the network and they look at the traffic and they find anomalies uh, on, on the network. So the Clarities, the, the Dragos, the Nozomi's, they, they do a good job of, of taking just passive uh, information out of the production network. And looking for, for this kind and of And that's mayhem.
2: OT specific? That's not uh, like IT oriented? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so what yeah, are they, they looking they are- for? Are they monitoring networks? Are they monitoring the status of a PLC? Like what like what exactly is that like I wanna say monitoring system doing in let's say if, if I was to deploy this on a manufacturing floor with I don't know, a few dozen PLCs, some HMIs, SCADA systems, like what exactly is it looking for?
1: So And and if you haven't worked with them, the first time you're going to see these things in action, you're going to be amazed with what they can do. So like a, like a clarity, for example, once you put it on your network and you put it on a spanning port of your switch, if you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. and, And again, the more traffic this device can see, the more information you will build, but it will identify each and every PLC. It will, it will, it will see what uh, flavor PLC it is, Rockwell, Siemens. It will see if it's a, it's an S7, 1200, 1300, the control logics, compact logics. It will find out, and this is all passively, it will find out what revision of the firmware that's running on it. Let's say you've got a control logics running firmware 23. Then because it knows that firmware, it can now also correlate with a database and, and tell you firmware 23 has got vulnerabilities in this, this, and this. Really? So it's, it's going to detect that. Furthermore, and, and I've seen this on clarity, so I don't know if, if all products do this, but the clarity will actually tell you also there's a PLC on a rack, and these are all the other devices in that same rack. So that, there is so much information that can be, can be uh, obtained from looking at, uh, at, at network packets.
2: Interesting. I'm just glancing a little bit at uh, at the product because I- again, I'm at least not familiar with it. I don't know if Dave has seen deployments of uh, of Clarity, but that's uh, that's a very interesting concept. I mean, even from my standpoint, just an inventory of the assets again with their yeah. is like gives you a lot of visibility and just like an understanding of what's out there, right? It just gives you that first layer, but giving the next step, which is, as you've mentioned, mapping like the back and other connected devices, but yep. also figuring out the vulnerabilities that seems to save a ton of work. And I, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, I've not heard of them or seen them being deployed. So I, I'd be curious to uh, learn you, more for sure.
1: Yeah. You should, you should reach out and see if you can get like a demo for your, for the, uh, for the stuff you got running in the back there. But so, and, and oftentimes when you deploy these things, this this is the way it's gonna go. So what sells the product is the asset management. You go into a site mm-hmm. and they have twelve hundred PLCs or whatever it is. They got twelve hundred devices. They don't know what it is. So this device, this this server comes in, and after a couple of weeks of sniffing and and, mm-hmm. and and looking at it, it's gonna in it's gonna index all of those assets, right? Anything it sees. That's mm-hmm. that's very important to know. If if there's packets, if there's packets that go between two PLCs on a little tiny switch that we don't we can't see, we're not gonna tag. We're going to kind of catch them. Anything that that server sees, it's going to, it's going to look at it. It's going to index it and you get a, you get an asset list, which tells you the IP address, the network segment. It's going to tell you the the firmware. It's going to tell you all kinds of information. So that's the selling point. And then, and then later on, people are going to look at it and they're going to be like, Oh, wait. Okay. So this has been trying to communicate out to a Chinese IP address because it can do that as well. Mm -hmm. It looks at these packets. You have a workstation or a PLC, God forbid you have a PLC that's trying to go to an external IP address or an, a, a Chinese IP address, it's going to flag that. You can, you can set up rules that say, if, if one of these devices is trying to go outside of the, the current network subnet, give me an alert. Give me an email, give me a text message, whatever that looks like. So that, that becomes very valuable. And people are like, oh, that's handy. I've seen situations where they had downtime in the middle of the night. They weren't sure what it was. And I'm like, but you're running... You're running a Nozomi, I think it was, a Nozomi sensor. Look at the things, see what happened. And they noticed that somebody had remoted into a workstation. The workstation had gone to the PLC, and it had sent a reset command or, or a firmware upgrade command or something, and it, something had gone wrong. And then they traced it back. It was the workstation, okay, workstation name. Who was logged in at the time? It was uh, uh, Joe, the engineer 12. And then they went over there, and, and they had a, a stern conversation with the guy.
2: Yeah, I could see how it could certainly (laughs) place a lot of blame for those, you know, like rogue uh, VPN devices that uh, have been placed on the guest network and then reset or or change the code on the PLC during the night. But that's a a whole separate, I want to say, issue. But no, that's an interesting tool. Like I said, I've certainly not heard of it. I'll definitely reach out to see if uh, it's possible to get a demo. Uh, Dave, thoughts, Mm -hmm. ideas?
0: So uh, I... I love the asset management portion of all of these tools, right? So I've known and worked with some of them for for a number of years, right? And I think that the asset management is probably as valuable, honestly, if not more valuable than everything else that you get with it. And this might be more valuable than, yeah. than the dollars you're paying for, right? The ability to know what assets look like, to know what assets are in which rack, to know what the backplanes look like of all of, of at least most of the PLCs, right? That is an infinitely valuable tool for the folks that live on the OT side, outside of any sort of ICS cybersecurity solutions. And I have for years, since basically the beginning of when I knew it existed, said to myself, man, this is a really valuable tool. This is probably worth not insignificant numbers of dollars, just as a standalone tool. And oh, we also do ICS cybersecurity on top of it. So um, kind of everyone's reaction as they heard Vlad coming uh, coming to the conclusion that he just came to, well, was me uh, probably about three years or so ago, right? Three, three and a half years ago, um, I, I was in a very similar position. I'm like, wait, you can do that? If we can sure. do that, why doesn't every facility, like literally if we can do that, why doesn't every facility in the entire world do that? You, you get into a little bit of issues with like, how have we networked it and managed versus unmanaged and, and how flat does all of the segmentations uh, look at least, at least in, in my experience. But I think that that is, is very positive. Uh, but no, Pascal, I think this has been an amazing uh, conversation so far, but before we ask you kind of the typical questions uh, that, that we ask everyone, I'd love to know kind of in your opinion, uh, what have we not talked about in cybersecurity with you? Like, is is there anything big that we should have asked, or that that we should be asking, or conversations that we should try to have? You know, as we talk about Cybersecurity Awareness Month this month. Mm-hmm. And
1: actually, the, the Cybersecurity Awareness itself, uh, the, the tool we just talked about, and and mm-hmm. like I said, that oh, that oh ho moment, right? When you first see one of these ideas, OT ideas, mm-hmm. I call them. In, in action and, and it starts mapping it out and it starts showing all the information. In my opinion, that's the most value, the awareness and the visibility in, in your infrastructure. But don't forget, before we can go there, we need to get our fundamentals straight. Again, architecture is the most important thing you can do for your OT environment, proper architecture, segmentation, but mm-hmm. also, and we didn't talk about this one is, is looking for that choke point in, in your environment. So when you do micro segmentations, that, that firewall between the two micro segments is a perfect place to get your, your data capture from. Or if you do the switch, you, you do a spam port of that. And also of course the, the DMZ itself. So you, you need to have your architecture ready for security. You need to be security friendly where you can bolt on a Nozomi or a Clarity or, mm-hmm. or Drago's uh, appliance and start doing all of this cool stuff. So in my opinion, and, and I, I strongly disagree with Dale Peterson on this. We've been fighting on, online over this. And, and uh, in the end, it all comes down to what customers you're talking to, right? Some of them value mm-hmm. this, need to go this one first. But in my opinion, start with your architecture. Make sure you, mm-hmm. you have a solid, resilient architecture where you can start building in uh, security uh, appliances and, and bolt on extra security as well. Architecture great. Yeah. segmentation, micro-segmentation. Now we start looking at monitoring, uh the environment which includes the IDS, which which gives you the asset management the vulnerability management and all that stuff on there
0: absolutely no no i, I think that all, all of those all of those are good and, and i hope we'll be able to kind of build upon I, i'm sure we'll be able to build upon the, this conversation as as we continue uh this theme into the month uh and that bringing me to my next question pascal mm-hmm. uh, so so i, I want to know what the future holds right so I would like to know what the future holds other than Pascal will write somewhere between one and a hundred more books um, at, at some point before he's done. No, what, 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 maybe, no? maybe
1: one more book, maybe one more book, but that's not even it. It's it's, <laughs> it's such a process. It, it has, it has taken so many, so many hours away from spending with the family. And mm-hmm. you know what, this is my gift back to the community. Right. But when I started learning about cybersecurity, I leaned heavily on the uh, the community. There weren't even many books around. I think, when i started looking, getting interested in cybersecurity back in like 2004 2005 mm-hmm. there was like one or two books written on on the subject they were it was taboo back in the day anyway but this is my gift back that uh for for helping me get to where i am i might do one more book uh but to answer your question what the future mm-hmm. holds we talked about the aic triade mm-hmm. I think availability we got really pretty well covered we uh, there's, there's a lot of write-up there's a lot, a lot of research done and how to make the most resilient architecture just look at the cpwe documentation they will help you in in 20 different forms to get the most resilient and uh, high availability network out there the next one is going to be i the integrity i think we're going to see a lot of work towards that because even though it's not as important as availability, still integrity. If you're able to coerce network packets and, and, and maybe manipulate some data to where uh, operating, screen, operating screen starts showing the wrong values, that isn't, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Yep. So I, I, And I know for a fact that the big, the big guys, the Siemens, the Emerson, the Rockwell are working on, on, on addressing the integrity uh, of network uh package so I, I i can see a lot of development coming in that apart from that iot iot is going to be a, a giant pain in the butt for a long time until we get that right so we, we're gonna to have to deal with that
2: absolutely i do have a question and it's a little bit less you know on the training side i i think we've got that covered by uh dave's earlier question but Pascal, if I'm, an, let's say I'm an engineering manager or maybe like an ops manager at a facility, I'm looking to, quote unquote, beef up my cybersecurity internally, right? So perhaps we bring in a, a consultant first that helps us sort it out. But I would like to have somebody long term, you know, within that role that maintains the OT slash IT cybersecurity. What are your thoughts about the, the types of skills? And I know we talked a little bit off stream about this, but... Would you typically train up with someone who who's got an OT, you know, may, maybe like a control systems or process background into the cybersecurity pro- practices, or would you take someone from the IT side who knows a little bit more on the networking but lacks perhaps the the process knowledge? What are your thoughts about? I want to say like the future of the of the workforce in this space.
1: So the most ideal com- candidate would be. uh, a controls engineer that's interested in networking and IT security and and cybersecurity in general. So that would be the most ideal candidate. Mm -hmm. But otherwise if if you can get a person right in the middle there, so you're you're always going to have OT and IT and they have their own uh, budgets and their own Agendas and all that stuff. If you can have somebody that sits in the middle, that's very interpersonal, that can talk to OT folks, that can go out to the production floor, understands what what's going on there, and then and then can also talk to the IT folks, and, and just be the middle the middle ground. I was at for for a while myself, but just be, be the person that looks at at the interests of both sides and makes it work between the two. That I've seen with a person in that place. Either it coming from the OT or or being somebody from the IT side, it. once you have somebody that can have those conversations, that can sit there as a middleware between the two, those are the the ones that successfully implement uh, cybersecurity. Because now you have awareness on both sides, you have conversation going, and 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 things start to uh, to uh, to go more smoothly.
2: Awesome. Maybe to kick yeah. us off with the, you know, like the closing questions, and I, I'm particularly curious about this one, right? So, again, looking into the future, I think like we've seen a number of threats grow in the industrial space, and I, I want to say like the most common one is ransomware being deployed into your yeah. facility. I think there's been also some shutdowns where a facility needs you know a week or two to recover. Um, my assumption is that it's only going to continue to grow, uh, but the question. Is probably like, do you think that the cybersecurity like response to those threats is going to grow proportionally and sort of subside these threats, or do you do you think that we're going to sort of like hit a rock bottom before there's a, there is a better time, so to speak?
1: It, I think it's going to be worse than that. I think I think <laughs> ransomware is going to get ram- more rampant. At, I, I, per, I foresee in the next couple of years ransomware hitting the PLCs. It, it probably already is hitting the HMIs. Mm-hmm. It's going to hit the embedded HMIs, the embedded operating systems. It's going to go to your PLC. I don't know how how critical that is because you reflash the thing and you're up and running again. But maybe a combination of hitting the PLCs while it's also hitting your file server, or maybe even the uh, mm-hmm. the, the Hyper V or the the VMware ESXi, and and, that, and basically puts ransomware on everything you own. I can see that happening. I can also see the the security vendors going overboard and coming up with another whole slew of buzzwords and tools and solutions that most ICS owners will never ever understand. So I think it's going to get worse first before we get to a point where we say, okay, this is enough. Let's let's get to the basics and let's really implement what really is effective.
0: Yeah. No, this is fantastic. I, uh, I don't know honestly, Pascal. Most of the time when I ask people for future recommendations, they're they're really positive. But I feel like we've left this on on a fairly scary note. So, uh, so uh, yeah, we're, I think all it, uh, we're all doomed. We're all Perfect, perfect. We're all doomed. Uh, I'm just I'm just moving up to the top of a mountain somewhere, and Vlad and I are going to pause doing the show uh, when, uh, when Zoom and the internet go down. Uh, what, but until one, then, one
1: positive one positive spin though, I, if if you. If you put that barrier between your enterprise and your industrial environment,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, that, that's going to save so much. I've, I've, seen, I've been in companies where their entire IT infrastructure was ransomware. I walked into their, their building and they all had the, the, red, <laughs> the red screens up. But then but they implemented a properly defined IDMZ, right? And mm-hmm. they had segmented and they were still running production. They okay. couldn't, they couldn't update their orders, right? Because that was all done mm-hmm. on the, on the IT side, but they were yep. still running. They were limping, but they were still running and they didn't have to bring in a whole bunch of consultants to rebuild their, their environment. So segmentation guys is the most important thing you can do. Make sure that if you can't reach mm-hmm. it, the, the more layers, the more uh, hurdles you put on getting onto your industrial network, mm-hmm. the more chance you have to fight off an attack.
0: I, I love that, I guess, in my experience talking about cybersecurity solutions, ICS cybersecurity talking about the Purdue model, I, I continue to go back to hackers. People trying to get in are generally lazy, right? They're going to go find the, the, the path of least resistance and they're probably not just targeting your facility, right? They're probably looking at a hundred or a thousand and they're going to find one and they're going to go in that direction as opposed to just singly targeting you. If you've got firewalls and segmentation up, yeah. you're probably, they, they, someone would have to really want to get in as opposed to the thousand places next door who have literally none of that. And we've got PLCs just directly open ports to uh, to the internet. So so uh, I, I thank you for that. Uh, Pascal. A
1: little, a little closing, little closing on it. Unless you're refining plutonium, you probably don't want to worry about those those kind of attacks. So what you do have to worry about is the opportunity attack. So some one of your mm-hmm. one of your uh, one of your employees accidentally going to the wrong website or opening the wrong uh, email, they bring yep. in a piece of ransomware. Secure protect against that, and and along with that, you're probably protecting to a lot of the other attacks as well.
0: Absolutely, I, I love that. um So, so kind of a, a follow up to uh, to some of the earlier things that we were talking about, career advice, right? So, so Vlad asked a really good question of what does an ideal person looking to to get into cybersecurity or ICS cybersecurity look like? Um, I, I guess if, if people are interested, uh, if, if people are interested in getting into ICS cybersecurity. Uh, Maybe they're maybe they're a controls engineer, maybe they're a engineer coming out of college, looking to get into the field. What 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 sort of career advice do you have for those kind of in a much more open, broad sense? Uh, what are some good first steps, perhaps
1: Uh, the first one while you're still in school, see if you can get like an internship with a with an automation company, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, See if you can you get on on one of the company's uh, management or uh, maintenance or engineering teams, mm-hmm. so you can you can get you get time on the production floor, so you know what it looks like. You know the steam coming out of the side of a machine. You know production schedules. You know the stress. You know what a where a PLC sits. You open up a cabinet. Uh, and you know you know all the the components in there. That would be the most valuable uh, experience to have. Apart from that, be curious, uh, start mm-hmm. researching stuff. Uh, but, and don't be like me. Like in, in the beginning, when I far, first started looking at cybersecurity, I wanted to know everything. So I, I went from secure coding to hacking to everything in between, uh, the, uh, mm-hmm. policies, procedures. I started way too broad. I, I needed to focus. And at oh. some point, I did that in, in networking, uh, it. networking and networking and hardware pen testing and, and security. But Awesome. Focus on something, and uh, don't be don't be uh, uh, discouraged either. So, ICS is a really broad concept, right? Not everybody has controls background. Not everybody knows how to program a PLC, but you don't have to have it to get a function in, in ICS cybersecurity either. Mm-hmm. There is there is there is a, a, a program managers. So, you security program manager. There are people in ICS cybersecurity. There's just, there's, there's a whole variety of, of, uh, jobs. So find something that you're really passionate about and start learning. And that's what that's I did. That's
0: fantastic. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that. And so, so talking about learning, we always ask for book recommendations. Now, <laughs> very now, now we've only had probably half a dozen authors on and every time when they come on. So I'm going to say Pascal, other than volumes one and two of uh, of your cybersecurity uh, textbooks, your cybersecurity books, do you have an, another book recommendation, either technology or, or, or fun-related?
1: Uh, and I'm not going to give you the answer you were looking for because you already used that one in the beginning of this call. But Eric, Eric Knapp's uh, cybersecurity book, uh, the, the the name escapes me at, at the moment, but he's he wrote two books, uh, first and second edition about... The, the fundamental protocols within, within the ICS environment. So it talks about mob bots and how to attack those. And that's an absolute must read. Uh, okay. your, your previous guest, Clint Bodungeon, he put out a uh, an Hacking Exposed Booker on, mm-hmm. on the ICS. I think yep. you should revamp it. It's getting a little old, but <laughs> it's a fantastic resource. It really is. Right?
0: <laughs> Perfect. So, so, so Clint was very, very nice. And told everyone to go out and buy your new book at the point uh, <laughs> at, at the point that, uh, that that he came on. So I just like uh, to say uh, for, for note, let me, let me Clint, Pascal it. Pascal is throwing down the gauntlet, saying your book is old. Please update it.
1: I uh, no no, that's not completely what I <laughs> what I meant to say is that I wish he would update it because I want more. The the way yes. they wrote that book and the little snippets of, of the hacker, I, I forgot what his name was, but, but they they there's these lead-ins where they where it's almost read like a novel where they go like I think it's the the I wasn't call, the guy called Vlad, maybe the Vlad, the attacker in, in his book. But anyway, he's got little snippets on there that's in it. That combined with the with the diehard, uh, uh, really, really, really good, uh, solid information around the book, but just makes it a must-read. So it it is a very good book, and I'm I'm sorry if I if I don't remember the title, but just go to go to Amazon, look up Eric Knapp, and he he wrote two books, maybe three, and uh, and that's absolute uh, must read, and then Clinch, of course,
0: absolutely.
2: So 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 we we will drop. Let me throw in like a a question in this like as well, right? So outside of maybe like the books, if someone wants to get a credential in cybersecurity, that makes sense that. And I don't know if there's something specific to the OT space, but I definitely know, you know there's credentials in penetration testing, there's security credentials in CCNA, right? So Cisco-oriented yep. stuff. Like, is there anything you believe is like worth getting as someone, again, uh, to like Dave's previous question, someone who's mm-hmm. just starting out and maybe uh, wants to have something on their resume that uh, demonstrates uh, like further capability?
1: Yeah, the, the main one is G I C S P. I, I believe that SANS, led but it's GICSP. Uh, it's probably based upon CISFP, but okay. uh, it's 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 the CISFP for the uh, for the OT side. And then there's Grid, where uh, uh, I think that's also SANS. But those are two uh, uh, those are two uh, certifications you can get. Awesome, makes sense. And, that, yep. and if you want, and then if you want to speci- uh, specialize in certain things. Like I said, IoT is going to be become a really big a hardware hacking is going to become a really big uh, uh, facet of of ICS cybersecurity. There's the uh, you, you can go to the Adify uh, uh, training and you can get certified for like uh, certified IoT hacking. Mm-hmm. Those kind of like I said, ICS is really broad. You you don't have to get a, a certification in the whole thing. Just focus on a certain part, right? IoT. Some people call it IIoT. I just call it a PLC. But anyway, those kind of sub <laughs> sub disciplines within the ICF security I, I will become very valuable. So so get ahead of the the game and and start developing your skills in that.
0: No, this, this is amazing, Pascal over here just throwing fireballs at, uh at everyone from <laughs> from his front porch. No, I appreciate that. Uh thank you for being here, Pascal. Last question for you is uh is who should reach out to you? You know, who do you want to connect with? Um maybe what are you guys doing at GuidePoint? Are you looking to hire kind of kind of any and all of those? This this is your forum to ask all of our listeners uh anything.
1: I don't know. We talked about the guide point. I gave you the spiel already because uh but apart from that, yeah, if you want to reach out, I'm on LinkedIn and you can ask yeah. around. I'm very, very open to new connections. I'm, I'm, always, uh, I'm always available for help, for suggestions. Reach out. I'm very approachable. Uh, apart from that, if you want, if you want to get involved uh, and start doing some pen testing, reach out to GuidePoint. Uh, we, uh, uh, we, we've got the offerings out there running now, so we're, we're ready to rock and roll. Yeah. Apart from that... As things are ramping up, I'm expecting us to, to have some job openings coming up pretty soon. So keep your eyes open, and I will post them on Fa- uh, no, Facebook. I've been of Facebook for 10 years now. I could put them on Facebook, too, if you wanted to, but they're going to be on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah.
2: Awesome. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Pascal. Uh, This has been amazing. You absolutely helped uh, set up the the pen testing uh, roundtable that we're going to have next week. Uh, Amazingly well. Thank you for joining us, Pascal. Thank you, Phoenix Contact, for sponsoring this theme uh, today. Thank everyone for listening. If you are still listening, as I mentioned at the beginning, for our live viewers, uh, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Subscribing, downloading the podcasts that come out on Thursdays, giving us ratings, uh, and, and connecting with all of us Really help the uh, really up the metrics. I have learned there's a direct correlation of me remembering to ask you guys to subscribe and download our stuff to people downloading our stuff. So uh please go ahead and do we'll that. Figure. And until yeah, right. That, that's what I say every week, Pascal. Um, <laughs> until next until next week, we'll see you guys all soon. Thank you. Thank you, Pascal. Bye-bye. Thank
1: Bye-bye. you, everyone. Thank you for having me.